This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're meeting today with Amir Yaron, a Wharton finance professor, about the recent awarding of Nobel Prizes to Eugene Fama and Lars Peter Hansen of the University of Chicago and Robert Schiller from Yale, all won for their work covering trends in asset prices. So thank you for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton today, Amir. Thank you. There's a couple of interesting things about this year's winners of the Nobel Prize in economics. Professor Fama, Fama is famous for his ideas that markets are efficient. It's long a textbook theory since he introduced these ideas in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, that they reflect all the information, at least publicly available information, that's out there. So one idea that flows from that, I think, is that you can't really predict what markets will do in the future because prices have already taken into consideration all the possibilities. Um, Robert Schiller, you might say, comes along and says, wait, not so fast. Markets are not that rational. In fact, they can be irrational. They can be too exuberant, too depressed. They can overreact and underreact in an emotional way. So at first glance, it seems a bit odd for these two finance minds to share the Nobel Prize um, because in some ways, at least on the first glance, they appear to be polar opposites. Could you give your views about that? Sure. Um, there is an element of uh, sort of correctness in that polar view that you are you are stating, but I think there's a broader message uh, of trying to analyze financial markets. And the way I view the connection is that you know Gene's early work focused uh, mostly on short-run predictability, and by and large they've shown using daily or uh, specific uh, an announcements or even weekly or monthly that there is very little room for predictability. And I think that evidence uh, by and large stand. And in fact, that led to practical uh, issues such as index funds, the idea, things that have really helped the, uh, you know, the, the common person in the sense of the construction of uh, low fee index fund, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, been, there's clear contribution there. The, the work of Schiller showed what he's really cited for is less for the elements of underreaction or overreaction that are due with psychology, sort of his excess volatility paper, which you know just shows that prices have moved too much relative to purely constant discount dividends. Okay? That, and then later on also showed that there is predictability over multi-year horizon. And the one has to understand that that is an important finding, uh, but that finding can, de can be interpreted by a rational model that either attributes um, different risk aversions or different market conditions which would justify, let's say, low prices in a recession that predict, uh, that therefore uh, predict future expected return and rationalize it, or it could be interpreted as some behavioral uh, elements uh, that, that may change expectation, et cetera, et cetera. And part of what we are still doing research is trying to decipher those two uh, ph phenomena, but I don't see the two, uh, you know, the two are complementary in my view rather than polar opposite, at least in terms of the findings that the Nobel Committee has 
uh, posed. It, as a common denominator trying to take from what you said, would it be fair to say that both are saying that prices are difficult to predict in the short term, but in the medium and longer term, um, there's some ability to make some reasonably accurate predictions? Well, we can certainly, there are certainly certain variables such as, let's say, if we're talking about the aggregate market portfolio, such as the price-dividend ratio, we know that when that's low right now, it tends to predict higher return down the road. And the question is that due to some behavioral traits, or as I mentioned, is that we are in, that could be interpretation that we are in a recession, people are highly risk averse, we're seeing low cash flows, and therefore we expect high, people demand higher expected return down the road. And that's the form of predictability. So one could be interpreted under a rational world and another one could be interpreted as a more behavioral uh, finance uh, interpretation, which is sort of the path that uh, Professor Schiller had taken subsequently. Maybe you can comment on, on this idea that the idea of polar opposites could be seen in, in that when some people have argued that Fama's uh, ideas and theories didn't see the financial crisis that began in 2008 coming, whereas Schiller's view of the world kind of predicted it. And therefore, in that sense, they, um, they did have different ways of looking at the world. Well, obviously, Schiller is partly known in the popular uh, press for calling, uh, you know, the dot-com and the, and, and, and the housing uh, market. Uh, I think as to uh, Gene, I think he would just say, you know, markets, uh, you know, the volatility in the market, it was expected upon such a crisis. That's what you expect in an efficient market where it's hard to aggregate and there's a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, and, and, and the difficulty of calling it uh, is, is inherent in, 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 in what, what is happening in such markets. The third prize winner, who hasn't gotten quite as much attention as the other two famous names, is Lars Peter Hansen, who um, you actually have a personal relationship. So maybe you could talk about that briefly and then tell us about his ideas. Sure. So Lars was uh, my main advisor at Chicago. I know him uh, very well. I've, I've actually written a, a, a paper with him. Uh, Lars' contribution is in developing a statistical model for testing many of the theories that we've discussed. The very basic theory basically asserts you save a dollar today and you get an expected return and what that dollar will give you tomorrow. Um, to test that, he laid out the foundational ground for doing that, I want um, and that's called the general method of moments. Um, and in the, the original test where what a dollar means to you today in, 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 in utility and in the future, uh, the specifications were very simple and the basic model was rejected. Okay, and that was a consistent with the notion of rejecting the consumption cap M, which is consistent with the Schiller uh, finding that volatility prices were too volatile to be, rec be reconciled by a simple present value of dividends. When you say the model was rejected, what what do you mean exactly? Um, what it what it means is on a statistical the, the, when you compare in the data. 
the costs side of saving a dollar today versus the benefits of um, getting tomorrow the dollar and the expected return, don't, those didn't seem to be lined up with reasonable uh, risk attitudes that we think uh, ought to reconcile them. And so the profession has moved on consistent with the, uh, these two background uh, topics that you've mentioned, lack of predictability in the short run and sort of uh, some predictability in the longer term by Schiller. And this evidence has moved on in sort of a couple of facets. One is to change the preferences, but still stay in a, in a rational world. Okay, so when I say change preferences, I mean preferences, for example, such that people are very risk averse in a recession. And if such, uh, the, and, and when they see a, a lot of uncertainty or low expected cash flows, they um, prices price to dividend ratios uh, are uh, are low, but nonetheless, expected returns are high, and that is a completely rational story. Another approach is to, of course, uh, go somewhat to uh, the behavioral route and basically claim that people have certain behavioral biases, and of course that changes their expectation, and that could uh, could do uh, some changes. A third approach would be um, to essentially talk more about market frictions, that people, that, that cost and benefit side that I mentioned, saving today, borrowing today to invest in the market is not so easily done, and so people have looked at that. And uh, of, of course, in this, in this mix, there's also the issue of how you measure the risks, the present value of, divi- the, the, the present value of dividends, obviously uncertainty. We see the VIX now and other measures of uncertainty. They become uh, very important. And so just the measured risks uh, have, become, have been challenged to some extent, and I'll, I'll put a plug for my own uh, work, which is actually uh, uh, related to that, um, which, uh, you know, I like to think it actually influenced some of, some of Lars's more recent work, which, is, which is, um, has to do with whether we are measuring the riskiness in dividends and in uncertainty appro- appropriately. Okay, so if you look at U.S. dividends, they look very much like what we call white noise, which would kind of not rational a lot of risk. Why do they look like white noise? They, they are very, um, they go up and down. But so if you just look at them at, at a plain vanilla sense, um, uh, you, you would think shouldn't, they shouldn't be too risky. Um, but if you look at them more carefully, there is some pr- signal there. And part of the debate is whether that signal is there or not, and those are statistical issues. But if it's there and with appropriate preferences, again, with a rational story, you can, you, you can go a pretty long way of reconciling some of the price movement that we've observed. Okay? So that's uh, – and so Lars's contribution has been in developing these methods, pushing them, um, uh, also developing methods about um, – uh, what we call uh, alternative preferences where people are uh, afraid of not knowing the environment they are living in, okay? So in, in that sense, he's also filling up the gap to some extent uh, between, uh, you could say a little bit between Schiller and Fama in the sense that I, um, 
is not strictly viewed as a behavioral, but some of his very recent research on robust control and with other uh, Nobel laureate uh, Tom Sargent has pushed the agenda of robust control, which uh, takes very seriously the idea that agents are not completely confident of what environment they're in, and consequently they're behaving in a more fearful environment, and that sort of affects uh, prices in a particular way. So when an individual investor, let's say, is going to make a decision what they're going to invest in, how, does that, how do those ideas uh, fit into what might be an unconscious decision for them? Well, um, you, you know, one way to take it, one way to, that we examine the data, of course, is um, on the aggregate economy, and we often look at aggregate data, and in that context, um, the view is, in, this con- in, in the context of the consumption cap M, is that somebody there on the margin is saving a dollar today and in let's say, and investing it, and they got to be compensated the right way, and they're, they're very cognizant when they, do, when they do that. Of course, there's a lot of people who are, um, partly because of the lack of predictability, are sort of happy and should be happy putting their mo- money in index funds because it's going to be quite difficult to beat the market by timing it. And this is what uh, Professor Fama has, his theory sort of led to this idea, which is you can't really predict the market, therefore an index fund, which saves you costs and et cetera, you could, you know, and that's just tracking, tracking uh, the general market, the general market. Right. And, and, and so that's in terms of the aggregate or, you know, Gene has also later developed, uh, um, issues about uh, actually the failure of the CAPM in the cross-section. The CAPM basically tells you that stocks that have high beta, high exposure to the market return should have the highest return. But he also showed that uh, other factors, their exposure to size and their exposure to book to market, you know, uh, is very important for understanding uh, the universe of returns. And that has also translated into ve- very practical notions. If you go to many uh, investment houses today, you will see that the universe of stock uh, advice is, do you want to invest in high growth? Do you want to invest in value? At, uh, big, small, that is in some sense a testament of how that research got translated very fast into practical uh, implementation in the real world. Could you just make that connection, uh, how that led to this uh, segregation of Well, it suggests that it's not just the market is the sort of univariate risk that's out there that we should, stocks are just kind of in terms of how risky you want to invest in stocks just depends on their market beta, but rather there are these other two risk factors. Book to market, which you can kind of think of value stocks versus growth stocks, and size, that's the third factor. And those two dimensions are often, when you go in, you know, you first put your money, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of divide up the universe of stocks in that dimension. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's a testament that, that's, that that view has transcended itself to the 
practitioner side. And today, when people propose a new uh, model, or they want to, you know, whether the, and, and whether a particular uh, model is supposed to generate a trading strategy or a better return, it is often benchmarked against what's called the Fama French three-factor models. Okay, so it, it, it needs to show that it gets a better return, not against the CAPM, but against this uh, three-factor model. So many ideas, uh, it sounds as though you're saying, of uh, modern investment ideas uh, have their foundation on Fama's ideas. And so why do you think it took so long for him to get the recognition uh, that he um, got this week? You know, it, I, I, I don't have a, a, a great answer to that. I'm, I'm sure lots of people... Uh, uh, I, I mean, his name was out there for for, 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 for a while. Uh, maybe they thought this is the balanced uh, this this balanced view is is is, is the right view. I, I, I'm not sure. This is probably something the committee should answer. <laughs> okay. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.